that's why I do index funds just because I'm like, okay, well, I could just set it. It does its thing. It's going to have its dividends, which are just getting reinvested. You know, it's just going to do its thing on my, on its own. And I don't have to worry about it. And I can focus on the things that I do know and the things that I am good at instead. That's, you know, the approach that I'm taking there to um, affect my quality of life. So if like, I want to like, we have Disney annual passes, right? So like, I want to always have a Disney annual pass. I don't want to ever say, well, I could save that and instead do something else to be like cheaper. Like, I don't want to live like that. Like if I want to go have a fancy dinner, I'm going to do that. If I want to go on a vacation, I want to do that. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires and Veil podcast. This is episode number 285. Hope everybody's having a great week out there. I know lots of people are starting to swing into spring break here. This week, we have Michelle. She's a realtor and has a net worth of $1.7 million. It's going to be a great episode with her. Last week, we had Roger, a net worth of $7.2 million. He's retired. Had a great episode with him. Got into all the nitty gritty about his portfolio. Once again, that was episode number 284. Economy still seems to be chugging along, looking at some possible more increases in rates and whatnot. We have this looming recession that always seems to be about six months away. Definitely going to be interesting as we discuss some of this with our upcoming millionaires and millionaire interviewees on whether or not their mindsets changed, especially with some of them that had real estate uh, over the last decade and, and their bull run up in the bull market there, as long as those that have had several investments in the, in the market. So a lot of great episodes coming up. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Also, please leave us a review, rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Helps us continue to grow the show and reach new millionaire interviewees. Always love looking through those reviews. Almost uh, getting close to a thousand. In fact, love to try to see if we can't get to a thousand by the uh, end of the year here. So if you haven't already, please go leave us a review, uh, especially on iTunes. That one seems to to be the place that uh, platform that most people listen. But Spotify is great as well as is Stitcher or any platform that you may listen on. Well, without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Michelle. Where I work, which it's in two different places right now. But um, so I like uh, so that's important to me. Um, I want to make sure that it's low maintenance. So all of our stuff is either a condo, a townhouse or a well, I guess the quad and the six flex are not really super low maintenance, but they're all attached. So it's better than six single family homes or four single families, you know. Um, So that's really important. I try to keep them small. So the rents will sell for maintenance purposes. And if we need repairs and everything, it's just kind of all um, less. So one to two bedrooms. And uh, I try to keep them as new as possible um, just so I don't run into like faulty wiring or bad plumbing or anything like that. But generally just small and easy to rent, easy to maintain is our criteria. And that cash flows, of course. So it's a little harder now with the way the interest rates are. So, you know, even that quad was kind of a kind of a push there to to buy with the rates at the time. Uh, but cash flow is number one priority. Very interesting. And are you um, pulling equity out of each property as you buy? Or are you buying them cash? Like, 
What's your strategy there? So they all have mortgages, uh, as scary as that sounds. They all have mortgages. We are putting between 20 and 25% down for all of them. So I'm not pulling any equity out. of. I haven't pulled any equity out of anything yet. Got it. Very impressive. Let's dive in to your brokerage and retirement accounts a little bit. How did that come about and how is that invested? So obviously by the way it's all allocated, it's definitely not my favorite thing and it's not my forte. Um, but when the pandemic happened and the stock market kind of tanked, um, just kind of the chatter of like, ooh, stocks are cheap. And I was super ignorant on everything. I'm just like, I don't even know what this is. Like, how does one even go and buy a stock? Like crazy as that sounds, I'm like 30. And I'm like, oh, how does this even all work? You know? So um, my partner, my real estate partner, Jeremy, he's not he knew he knew more. So he's like, Oh, at the time, everybody was like all about Robin Hood. So he's like, well, you could try that, but you know, open an account here or there or whatever. So I got into it, I started reading about all of that, like how to invest. Um, it kind of went down the rabbit hole of like, um, hey, if you uh, high deductible insurance plan, which we were going to have, you know, you can open up an HSA. And then, you know, I got into the weeds of backdoor Roths, uh, because we're high income earners, so we can't just go do a Roth. So I was like, okay, this is the way that I can um, kind of try to set ourselves up for to minimize our tax liability. So I started learning about all of that, and then opened up what I opened up. I got some individual stocks when the stock market um, went down back when the, everything happened with the pandemic. So I got some cruise ship stocks and, you know, things like that. But um, I've been messing around and trying to find, uh, trying to get stocks that are either high growth or with uh, that provide dividends. Cause like I said, the uh, passive income is what's important to us. I, I just kind of set it and forget it. If I'm being honest, <laughs> um, we contribute to our HSA every year since I figured out what that was two years ago. And uh, we contribute to, a Roth via the backdoor version. And so I figured what that was two years ago. But aside from that, that's the only thing I managed. Now, a few years before when I started earning higher in my real estate business and hiring employees, as, as for, with the advice of the my accountant at the time, she recommended that I open up a SEP IRA. So there's some money that's been contributed to that, which I don't contribute to anymore. It's kind of sitting there doing its thing. So yeah, it's not very interesting because I don't pay too much mind to it, but it's there doing its thing. And we, you know, make our contributions to the IRA and HS. Do you plan to continue that? Yeah, I think so. Because um, in my limited knowledge <laughs> of that, it seems like um, I can get into that in opportune times of life um, to provide that passive income. And it's just a method for it to grow and to diversify, if you will, because I am really big on real estate, but I know better than to put all my eggs in one basket. So, you know, putting something on somewhere else is that's why I decided to do that. And you just put that in index funds? So, yes, most of it is in index funds. I have some like VOO. See, I hardly even know VOO, BTI, BTI. Yeah. <laughs> so I have them in stuff like that. Uh, most of it. But then I do have some individual stocks like um, like Apple, Tesla, some cruise ships, stuff like cruise lines, stuff like that. Yeah, cruise lines. I guess we're recording this kind of the beginning of 2023, and it seems like I yeah. think both of them have just announced like their biggest year or weeks ever from a booking mm -hmm. standpoint. So should be interesting to see what uh, earnings calls look like here in a few weeks. Yeah, I ought to look then because I haven't looked in a minute. But 
that was all like 2020 thinking when like, you know, Carnival yeah. was like six bucks. So I was like, Ooh, six bucks for a stock. That's cool. <laughs> you know, and seeing what it used to be worth. So th- that's the limited knowledge that I have on stocks. If I'm being honest, but I pay more attention to it now from a tax saving standpoint. Like, you know, can I put money in here? That's tax deferred for later, or I get a, a write off um, or a deduction. See, I'm using the wrong word. This is not my thing for putting it in there now. Kind of, you know, so that's the main for sure. reason for it. For right sure. Now. Do you use an advisor? So the stuff that I set up for my business and my employees and the staff and stuff like that, I do have that managed, but everything else like the HSA and all that I just do on my own. And since I'm not like super involved in it, um, I just, that's why I do index funds just because I'm like, okay, well, I could just set it. It does its thing. It's going to have its dividends, which are just getting reinvested. You know, it's just going to do its thing on my, on its own. And I don't have to worry about it. And I can focus on the things that I do know and the things that I am good at instead. That's, you know, the approach that I'm taking there. So Michelle, I'd like to swing around and go into your past a little bit. Okay. I don't think you know, I, I joined or basically hunted Jace down to be co-host because I am a fan of the, the podcast first and foremost. So I've listened to every episode. And I don't think we've had anybody who was in the military or was a military wife, so to speak. Mm-hmm. How did that like change your trajectory? Because obviously, like, were you doing real estate and what, as you were jumping around or does that was it just too difficult to be in one place at one time to establish yourself as an entrepreneur the way that you are mm-hmm. like maybe it'd be useful for i think the listeners to to hear that part of the story because you've obviously had a very steep climb um in your net worth since you took over which is very important impressive what yeah. was that like and and how does that in how does being married to someone in the military change your outlook or change your strategy, so to speak? Yeah. So, so my husband and I have been together for 15 years. So since just after I got out of high school, so we were dating when I was in college, I got my bachelor's degree. I intended on becoming a psych, a psychologist. Um, that was my intention. So, but right around the time that I finished my bachelor's degree, we got engaged and we had moved in together and we just decided like the best thing for us. And we were wanting to grow, start a family and everything was for him to join the military. So I put my school plans on hold. I was hoping that we would get stationed somewhere where I could go to school, but that didn't happen. So they sent us to training to Mississippi for a little bit for like nine months. Then we had to get separated again because there wasn't houses for us. And um, then we reunited three months later in North Dakota, lived there for three years, had two kids. And then so when he made his first four years in the military, they moved us to North Florida. We're originally from Miami. So we went from Miami, basically straight to North Dakota, which is terrible. (laughs) So in 2014, they moved us to the panhandle uh, of Florida. So that's where I was up until a year and a half ago. So I lived there, what, six years. And that's where I started my real estate career. So I didn't practice real estate at all until January of 2015. So coming up on eight years. And yeah, I didn't know anybody when we moved. We had no friends. We were just moving with our two babies. They were like two and not even one to a brand new place, bought a house in a place we'd only visited one time. We just figured it out. I got on the social networks, started uh, trying to meet people and inserting myself and saying, hey, I'm a real estate agent. You know, I know I've only moved here like six months ago, but I could totally help you find a house. 
And we just had to figure it out because we put the kids in daycare and we didn't know how we were going to pay for daycare (laughs) after like the first few weeks. So I was like, I really got to like make a sale. Otherwise, we're going to use up savings that we didn't plan to use up in order to pay for the kids to be in daycare while I'm trying to work, you know, thankfully it all worked out. Um, I did do pretty well. He did deploy six months later though. So in my first year of real estate, he was gone for those six months and it was just me and the kids. Our family came up and helped me here and there, but I just had to figure it out. Wow. So about me. (laughs) I mean, so that that's doubly impressive that, you know, your husband was was overseas and you were building a business and here you are right so that's that's super inspiring i'd like to still go back to north dakota what were you thinking about in north dakota were you plotting and planning to get back to florida and like was that the or did 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 you just land in florida and you're like i'm gonna do real estate so our intention was for him to only go to do like be in the air force for four years that's it. That was the only intention. And like get, you know, you know, the whole education benefits and everything, get some work experience, and then we'll move back home to Miami and live there and figure it out there. That was the intention. But when four years rolled around, we had two very small kids. I had a part-time job and I wasn't going to be able, like, we weren't going to be able to make it happen. So we're like, all right, we got to do four more years, you know? And they, at the time they let you pick like a list of preferred bases. So we picked all the Florida bases and we, we got the one in the, in the panhandle because we just wanted to be as in Florida or as close to Florida as possible. So that's, that's how we ended up there in North Dakota. I was having babies, but I really, I'm a workaholic. <laughs> if it isn't obvious already, I really like to work. I really like to make myself useful. I like to feel like I'm doing something like my brain is working. I've always had like an entrepreneurial like mindset. I just didn't know what to do with it. And I, you know, so when I have my youngest son and I would come home from work and me and him would just be hanging out. Um, and I worked very early in the morning, so I, we would nap together, but in between the naps, I would watch HDTV and I'm like, Oh, this would be so fun to do. I know that sounds super cliche. Oh, I would love to do this. I, you know, whatever. But I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to look into getting my real estate license when we get to Florida. And then if when we're done here in four years, we want to move back to Miami, it's a Florida license. So it works out just fine. Right. Uh, well, we decided not to move to back to Miami, but that that was the I- idea behind that. So try it out, see what happens while well, we have a stable income, you know, because we had his income. So I could have we could afford to, we were always like pretty frugal. Like we didn't have a lot of debt. Like I, I paid off all my student loans before all of this, you know? So I, we, we didn't have any debt. So I was like, okay, well, I think we could afford for a little while for me to try this out and work on commission because we have his stable income to pay our bills and our new mortgage and all that. So are there, are there any benefits to the military in terms of your deal structures and things like that when you're buying these properties? So yes, there was benefits for us for our primary residences with his uh, VA loan eligibility. So that was really nice uh, because we didn't have, we, the two, the one, two, three times we bought primary residences, we didn't have to put any money down. Uh, this last one, we did put money down because we sold really high <laughs> when we moved away. So I didn't want to have that giant of a mortgage payment. I wanted to make it kind of manageable. And I went a little crazy decorating <laughs> and designing the new house. So um, we did put money down, but we didn't have to. So that was nice. So yes, that is a perk. But every other uh, property that's not an investment does require, well, there's other ways around it, but generally speaking, does require a down payment. 
One thing that, that we haven't touched on yet is how much did you have in cash again? Just a little over a hundred? Um, around one fifty. How do you think about liquidity as it relates to your net worth, holding as many rentals as you do, et cetera? Kind of, you know, variable income sometimes in your industry. How do you think about your liquidity in, in cash reserves? That's a good question. So um I and this is something that I'm working on and I have been working on for six, eight months or so, just because it's become a lot of property to deal with. <laughs> so um, we do have around six-ish months of expenses set to the side in a completely different account. That's for fam- like family emergencies, not related to the rentals at all. Like, you know, we have a bad few months, don't get some commission checks, like something crazy where like we just need to pay our bills and figure it out or medical expenses or something. So we have that off to the side. And now um, currently m- most of the rentals are stabilized except for the quad. Um, we had to do some renovations and the last year it just got rented two weeks ago. Um, so working on building that account up, but I've tried to figure out, you know, Hey, this unit might need an AC in three to five years that costs approximately this. And I've tried to just map it out like that for all the properties and come up with a number that I feel would be good to hold in that account because all the money from my rentals, we don't use it. It just sits there into the, in the account. It's always has, we've never taken it out to use it. So I'm trying to build it up to a point where I can comfortably say, if anything was to happen to this rental, then I have enough to cover it and then some, because eventually I do want to pull from the money we make from the rentals because that's the passive income point of all of this, right? But I want to be smart about it and don't say, well, I make X amount of dollars a month uh, from the rentals. I don't really, because I know that at any moment, a tenant could call me and say the capacitor, whatever is wrong with the AC, which literally just happened like two months ago. And then between trying to figure out what happened with the AC, here I am out $1,200, right? So I know stuff like that could happen at any time. So I'm trying to fill up these accounts in a smart way and just have like a minimum balance that I need to have in there to feel comfortable, then the rest I can, I feel like I can take that money and use it to live if that's what we decide to do in the future or use it to further invest in other things. Is there a percentage that that you'll keep on hand or is it just going to vary by kind of what your unit mix looks like? It it is going to vary a little bit. So most of my, most of the units make similar amount of rent they're in similar sizes you know so the the range of money that i keep for each of them is pretty close uh from my uh calculation i guess i I don't know there's not really a rhyme or reason it's just something that makes me feel comfortable like oh you know if if this ac is going to go out or if this one's going to need a roof or something in this next several years this is i I like calculated it out like this is how long it's going to take me to get the that account to that balance with the cash flow that we make. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. So let's let's shift gears just just a little bit. When you're looking for for these deals, kind of just walk us through high level. What are the things that you're looking for in, in something that you think would be a good rental? So I have purchased all of them from MLS. I know some people say like, oh, you know, I get them off, like just talking to other folks and networking and everything like off market deals. It hasn't really happened to, for me like that. I do ask and I do look and it, happen, it works out for clients sometimes, but it just hasn't worked out for me that way. I just, you know, I 
browse like everyone else does from MLS or on Zillow or something if I don't have access to MLS there. And that's how I've acquired them. To me, it's a good deal if it cash flows. If I've got, I do factor in reserves and vacancy a little, um, maybe not as much as others do. So maybe I'm not as conservative on that front as other people are. But I'm most of our property is in a really crazy military market. So I know I'm pretty confident and I worked in it for all this time that those things will stay rented for sure. <laughs> so the vacancy minute, like the vacancy is like minimal. Whereas the two rentals that we have here in central Florida, we're not quite in that type of environment. So I do fluff on my um, vacancy allowance uh, on those. So yeah, it is, it is unit uh, specific. I, like I mentioned earlier, I just try not to get into something that's just going to be like, I'm having to tear up foundation to get to plumbing and tear, you know, electrical out of walls and, you know, crap like that. And I should add that Florida is pretty complicated for homeowners insurance. And it's only getting more complicated, like literally, as I'm saying this, <laughs> um, it's it's very difficult to get stuff insured here. It's super expensive because all the hurricanes and everything. So more so of a reason to not get into something that is going to need like major updating. So I try to avoid that whenever possible. Interesting. So as you go forward, is there a certain door count or real estate value in your portfolio that you're that you're aiming for? We'd like to be, a, and so this has been a developing thing over the last couple of years. It's like, so how much does our life cost? So I've been trying to figure that out, like an average. And, and our big life goal is uh, a lot of people in the FI community are very much uh, like, I don't want us to sound bad, but like more of on the penny pinchers, like, you know, no, I don't want to spend this money. I'm like really hardcore with my budget, like, you know, just really hardcore. I am the opposite of that. I want to live my life the way that I would live it no matter what. So I don't want my quest to FI to um, affect my quality of life. So if like, I want to like, we have Disney annual passes, right? So like, I want to always have a Disney annual pass. I don't want to ever say, well, I could save that and instead do something else to be like cheaper. Like, I don't want to live like that. Like if I want to go have a fancy dinner, I'm going to do that. If I want to go on a vacation, I want to do that. So doing all that within reason, like we always have, like we've always been able to do, how much does a life like that cost? So our goal is to get to that amount of money plus probably maybe like 10 ish. I've, I've in my head has always been like an extra 10% or so for inflation, I guess, <laughs> um, to just account for, to, to cover all of our life expenses. So when our investments, our passive investments get to that point, then I'll, then I'll feel like, all right, cool. We did it. And then I could at that point choose to, not work or choose to work less or choose to do something else and not worry so much about how much it makes me like do more like things that I'm more so like passionate about as opposed to worrying about like, oh, I have to do this because I need to pay my bills sort of mindset. Like that's the five that we're searching for. And we're doing pretty good so far when we moved my, we, I quote, retired my husband. So he's a stay at home dad now <laughs> and he wasn't before. So um, we're, we're on our way and it's kind of neat to, talk about it because you don't get to really talk about these things with a lot of people. So it's just really neat to say it out loud and say, you know what? Yeah. Like it's been, it's been happening. Like, you know, you write it down on your vision board and everything and you write your goals down and 
you slowly start to reflect back and see like, yeah, it's it's on its way over there. So that's the goal. Good for you. What what is that number roughly that, that you're spending right now per year per year? It's a little difficult because we moved and had to buy a lot of furniture and all that stuff. But I wager based on my averages that it's probably some the our actual expenses are hovering somewhere around a hundred thousand a year. So, you know, 110, 120 in passive income would make me feel kind of good inside. <laughs> I guess in one one regard, you maybe double, triple your rental portfolio-ish and you're there, more or less, if you've been on the same rate that you're going. Yeah. I mean, we make some income from my husband, from him being in the military. So I think we around double and we would be there if I just doubled my cash flow with my real estate portfolio. That's awesome. So two to three years, you're there. So I set out when I turned 30 because I had, okay, so like a little bit of backstory. So um, and I don't want to get into like a super sad stuff, but like my dad passed like four years ago. Okay. And he was super young and he died of cancer and he had cancer for a really long time. So as all that was sort of happening, like right in the middle of my real estate career, like right, you know, a couple years before the pandemic and everything, it just, and I turned 30. It just, I know it sounds crazy. Like I'm having a crisis when I'm 30, but it just sort of hit me. Like, you know, my kids are getting taller than me almost like stuff's like life's changing. Right. And it's not going to wait for you. You know, like you never know when it's going to be over for you. So you need to enjoy it kind of thing. Right. And so, so point is like that I was enjoying the story. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I, I do this a lot. This I get is great. Excited. No, no, keep yeah. going. So I just I put you on I put you on the spot that you're gonna be there in two or three years and you're about to tell me yes, either. Financial independence. Your so dad around, passed away. Yeah. So okay, Rock so when I turned 30, I I told myself I got a new real estate coach at the time and I was like gung ho. I'm like, I'm gonna kill it, it's gonna be great, everything's gonna be awesome in my career, like I'm just gonna go full on. And she had me set a goal for five years from then. She said, where would you like to see yourself five years from then? And I said, I'd like to see myself like, and I didn't really know at the time what it was called, but essentially I wanted to see myself financially independent. Like I wanted our family to be financially independent and just YOLO living the life, like just not having to worry about work, just really like living the life we want to live and just doing whatever we want to do and having our investments like cover that stuff. So uh, I've got two years left, a little less than two years. So I feel like I, that's when you said two or three years. I'm like, actually, yes, <laughs> close, something like that. I said, I wanted to be that way by the time I turned 35. So that's the good goal. for you. It sounds like you're well on your way. And and by the way, thank you and your husband for for your service in the military. We obviously all appreciate that. So a couple years, you're financially independent, but and, and I guess FI, but in, in your head, you're going to probably work in, indefinitely to some degree. Is that correct? I think so. I just can't sit still. I'm always trying to do something. I just would really like the freedom to not have to. Or for example, like we really enjoy traveling and have gotten way into the credit card travel hack stuff. Um, so we're getting to travel way more than we would had I not got that little side hobby. So um, I always thought it would be really neat to have a travel blog because that's where I get a lot of my information when we travel. So I know those things take forever to actually make money, but it would be more so like a little passion project of mine, almost like a little journal, if you will, like where somebody could read that later and be like, look at all the, or like my kids could see it later and be like, look at all the adventures we went on and, you know, something like that. So I'd like to do those kinds of things that don't necessarily make me money, but that make me happy and they could make me money. I mean, you know, you never know, but 
I, I'd like to have spend more time doing that. I've been getting into my fitness more. So just when you're such a workaholic, you have to really carve out time for personal passion projects and you don't always get to do them. So I'd like to have the time to just do things that make me happy as opposed to things that I have to do to pay the bills. Like that sounds so lame. What are a few of those things? So I like to dance. <laughs> cool. So I'd like to do that more. I, as crazy as it sounds, if you knew me like a year ago, you'd be like, no way. But I've been totally into gardening lately. <laughs> so I've got like a bunch of succulents in our courtyard. So I, you know, I like to get out there every once in a while just and mess around with them. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of trial and erroring. I was like, maybe it'll live if I move it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they don't need a lot of attention. So that's why I like them. So I pay attention to them when I want to. So, so those two things, uh, I do like to read, which is where I get a lot of my info. I'm, as you could probably tell, I don't have a lot of like technical expertise aside from real estate. Um, so everything tax related and stock related, I've gotten from just reading blogs and reading books and stuff. So I, oh, and listening to podcasts, of course. So I like to do that. I'm one of those, I don't want to say weirdos, but everybody looks at me crazy when I say I listen to podcasts when I work out. <laughs> so I like to do that. Um, uh, what kind of dance? So um, I, a uh, pole dance, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I was, was like cringing. So. I was like, oh, he's gonna ask me. <laughs> <laughs> with your with your Latin background, my my wife's a bachata dancer, so that's. Oh, I see, I would love to like really learn. How, it's okay, so it was between like um, dancing with the stars type ballroom Latin dancing and pole dancing. Uh, and I found the pole studio first, and I actually love it. It is a fantastic workout and every like friend of mine that I've invited to there like it's not for the dancing it's more for like the empowerment you know um this lady like female empowerment and it is a hell of a workout I'm I get really like super sore like um and I've lost like 10 pounds so legit yeah. really great workout I love it awesome <laughs> you weren't expecting me to say that huh <laughs> uh, you know it, it's good for the abs that's what I know that's all yeah <laughs> it is so one thing we haven't touched on is you were technically first generation American too, correct? Your family immigrated from Cuba? Yes, actually. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about how that shaped, you know, you coming to the United States, your desire to uh, obtain financial freedom and, and what that, you know, what, what kind of effects that's had on you, because that's pretty remarkable. Um, and we definitely haven't even had anybody that's immigrated from Cuba on the show yet either. Um, so I didn't, my parents did, so I was born in Miami. Um, but my mom, my mom came when she was a baby and my dad came when he was like 18, uh, 17, 18 years old. So, and I hear a lot of what mostly my dad's side because he was older when he um, came, but I, so I hear a lot of their stories and uh, my grandma has since gone back to Cuba a couple of times. So I hear stories, you know, for when they come back and just how the conditions are. And she still has some of her family that lives there, but growing up, um, actually Spanish was my first language, which if you heard me speak it now, since I don't speak it as much, you'd be like, no way. <laughs> But Spanish was my first language. So I remember being like in first grade, like I could speak English, but I didn't know all my words in English. So that was a little bit, a little bit challenging. So that was a thing. Uh, my parents just, they had to have offset schedules. So like one of them had to take us to school. The other one had to pick us up. We were just very, it was just very much that kind of household, like 
They worked uh, 40 some hours a week, both of them. Uh, only time off we had was on the weekends. Like after school, it was like, um, hey, dinner, you got to go to bed. Like there wasn't like that family, I guess like that family time, like we are fortunate enough to have with our kids now where like my husband takes them to school, he picks them up, they get home. They have, we have lots of time for after school activities. Like they don't have to go to after school care at all. Whereas like, we had to, if like one of our parents couldn't pick us up from school on time, you know, cause they were just working all the time. I saw both of my parents uh, just struggle with uh, money and struggle with like wanting to buy things. And, you know, when they would get a tax refund, they would, that's the money they would use to go on our one vacation every year, usually to Disney world. So there wasn't really like, from what I saw, there wasn't really like a lot of saving. There wasn't really a lot of conversation around money. My mom, worked in banking pretty much since before I was born um, and still does. And I think it was because of that, that I got the financial knowledge that I have now. I remember when I turned 18, she, well, and around the time I got my first job and everything, she opened me up a bank account. And, you know, at the time was like, this is how you write a check. And this is how online banking works, you know, because otherwise I would, who, who teaches you that? Right. So um, she showed me that, but I think the biggest thing that she showed me was she applied for a credit card for me. And then when it came in the mail, she gave it to me. And she said, this right here is going to ruin your life if you're not careful. You know, and her and my dad were going through a divorce at the time. So I was hearing about it as an 18 year old, like, you know, my credit is this, my credit is that because, you know, so she said, you need to be very careful. And then she said, what you're going to do first is put gas in your car and you pay it off. So, you know, and then she started me down that path of like financial responsibility. So I fortunately, you know, knock on wood, <laughs> never got myself into any financial troubles. I was always very careful. Like I didn't want to take out like unnecessary loans. I didn't want, like I've never paid a penny in interest on a credit card ever. <laughs> so I, I've always just tried to stay as responsible as I could, um, you know, and now, you know, all those years later, I still do the same thing. I just also don't want to sacrifice my um, my lifestyle because at the end of the day, I mean, I don't, you know, who knows if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, right? Like, so I just don't want to live my life like saving up and being frugal for 40 years to hopefully maybe enjoy it when I'm in my 60s, you know? So just kind of growing up with all of that and just seeing that in front of me has kind of paved the way for me. And I'm very thankful because I know everybody doesn't have that kind of however small, like just kind of a moment where like somebody told you something that resonated with you. And you're like, Oh, man, yeah, like, I, I definitely don't want to mess that up. <laughs> so I don't want to mess up my credit. Okay, very important. I don't know why it's important, really. But thank you. And you know, when you get older, you you realize that yeah, it's important. Oh, and they would never let me I wanted a new car so bad. I was like, Oh, yeah, with my little mall job, I could totally pay like a $250 lease on the car, you know, and I was technically an adult, I could have done it. Um, <laughs> you know, but they, you know, they were like, No, don't do that seriously, don't do that. So I'm just thankful that they, you know, educated me where they could, even though they weren't perfect themselves, because I know that they didn't have anybody to educate them. And it's not their fault. You know what I mean? So I soaked all that in, I learned as much as I can. And we try to relay that to the kids, like the kids know we have rentals, they've been to the rentals with us, they know how it works, you know, so we try to give them that knowledge. Also, hope that that's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive meal out that you've paid for? Uh, 
So that was, uh, okay, so you know Salt Bay, the dude with the salt, you know, that he sprinkles the salt on the steak? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we went to his restaurant in Miami, and um, it was a little over 600 bucks for me and my husband, but it was the best steak I've ever had in my life. It was so good, so totally worth it. It was delicious, but it was literally a steak, some onion rings, a glass of wine, and a beer. Wow. (laughs) And it was was over $600. But it is an experience. Like, we sat next to some players from the Miami Heat at the next table, so... Is really cool, but yeah. Nice. <laughs> What's the the most expensive shoes pair of shoes you've ever purchased? Ah, uh, those would be my red bottoms that I bought last year in Vegas. They're black patent leather uh, Christian Louboutin pumps. They were eight hundred bucks. Nice. Or seven. And I can I can tell that you love them. I do love them. You saw my face. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're so uncomfortable, though. They're really uncomfortable, but they look amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, isn't that what they say? The like, beauty hurts or something anyway? Oh, like, yeah, totally. It, <laughs> mm-hmm. Worth or it. The shoe or a dress or you got to go to the spa or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Beauty hurts. It does. What about the most expensive car you've purchased? That would be my car right now. It's a... Mm, two, 2021 Mercedes GLC 300, like the little SUV. And you paid oh, and that was, uh, 55. Did you buy that in cash too? No. So, so we actually lucked out when all the used cars were really high priced. So we, when we were living in the Panhandle, we had two vehicles, and then we decided because my husband and not like he wanted to have his like guy car and I wanted to have like a cute race car or whatever but we didn't not a race car but you know like a not family friendly car so we just decided to buy a minivan uh, like a cheapo minivan so for road trips and stuff with the kids so when we moved here we sold that when all the used cars were stupid high and we actually it's like we flipped it we, unheard of we flipped the car <laughs> so we bought it for like 13 and sold it for 23 something outrageous it was nuts so i put that money and we had bought that in cash so we had like a full 23 or whatever and i put that towards this mercedes and the only reason i didn't just buy it outright is because i got a 1.99 percent interest rate so there was literally no point in buying that outright gotcha what uh if you had to teach a class in college which what class would it be Hmm. um it would probably be i'd like to i'd like to teach like basic um like finance and i know i'm not like a finance expert but I always, I'm of, I'm one of those people that thinks like, man, if somebody would just teach like high school kids or young adults, like how to be an adult, (laughs) the world would be a better place. Like in terms of like, so what are taxes? Like, what's all this money that comes out of your paycheck? Like, how do you invest? What's a stock? Like, what's the 401k? Uh, How do you write a check? Um, Like that kind of stuff. I would love to like teach that more so to, for like a contribution to society is that's how I would like to. Yeah. That's what I do. Cool. I'm not sure that's a college class, but you know, yeah. <laughs> if, if 18 year olds need it, it's a college class, right? Yeah. <laughs> so something like that. What is the, uh, what is the most important or special memory that you've made and how much did you pay for it? Hmm. Probably. So the most special memory that I've made with just me and my husband was when we went to, we took a 10 day trip to England and Scotland. And if you know me, you know that I literally don't stop talking about Scotland. I love Scotland. So that was very special, like time of my life, 
best trip ever. Um, that I think all in all was somewhere around 10 grand for that trip. And then I guess special memory with our kids. We went on a, before you, before you continue, what is your favorite thing about Scotland other than this? So, so the reason we decided to go to Scotland is because I love Outlander, (laughs) love Outlander, but, um, I don't know. It's just something about it. Like, um, and it might have something to do with the show, but it just has this romantical vibe to me about it. And the scenery is just like growing up in Florida, there's no mountains, there's no, it's just flat you know, and there's beach. And I guess we're spoiled. Some people don't get to see beaches, but seeing mountains and just like all that green and all that beautiful, it's so peaceful and quiet. It's like a smell in the air. I don't know. It just, I just loved being there. And if I could have like a little cottage, like just in the Highlands somewhere and just kind of chill outside and read a book all day, I would be so happy. <laughs> so I don't know that it's just, it's like a feeling inside. I just love it. Um, what is but, still on the bucket list that, that you uh, are looking forward to? So when you asked me what's a special memory, I was like, I probably haven't made them yet because this year is really exciting. So uh, we're going in a few weeks over spring break to Iceland with the kids and we're going to stay in a van for eight days <laughs> in a camper van. So that's going to be really cool. And it might not be pleasant at the moment, but later we'll think about it and be like, that was really cool. <laughs> are, are you going to wear your Louboutins in uh, no, Iceland? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. In fact, we're like really light packing because we don't, well, you're in the van, right? So like we can't have a lot of luggage in there and we're, I'm also not trying to like lose my luggage or something. So we're really light packing. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not taking very many or any hair products or nothing crazy like that. So if we're roughing it out there. <laughs> All right, I have I have one, and I don't think these qualify as a rapid fire question, Jace. But I have to ask you, what is the best cubano in Miami? Hmm. Um. I think the best Cuban food in Miami is found in like the local, like cafe, we call them cafeterias, but like in the local, just little restaurants, like in shopping centers and stuff. Like not like. Not in these big chain restaurants, like big name restaurants or anything like that. So over by uh, where our parents live and everything, there's a a couple of little like smaller chains. They're called uh, a rinconcito, which means the little corner. Uh, But there, I don't know about just the Cubano, but like I just find their food to like it feels more like homemade there even like it sounds stupid like even their toast tastes like more homemade to me than it would like in one of the like a fancier bigger chain place and this is more like you know counter serve and they have some tables that kind of vibe somewhere like that is where you'll find the best food in my opinion that sounds like a million dollar recommendation i was in (laughs) miami last year and i loved the food but i was still looking for the best cubano you got to get out of the tourist area. That's what it is. So when everybody goes to visit Miami's so big, you just hang out like in downtown or Brickle or South Beach. You got to you got to get out of there. Got it. <laughs> awesome. To wrap up, what advice would you give somebody who's just starting out on their journey? Two pieces of advice. One of them is practical and the other one is more like, uh, you know, from your heart. So first one is edu- like the practical one is educate yourself, be responsible, just learn about the things don't go crazy like don't get yourself into like financial trouble like because that's just like the root cause of so many like relationship problems like mental health issues like just don't do that (laughs) like try your best to like educate yourself and because all the resources are there and they're like free like podcasts for days blogs for days books like 
you know, free or very inexpensive, you know, network with people to just soak in that information and just nobody's perfect, but, and, and you know, you've already made some mistakes. It's okay. You can get out of it, but just educate yourself, I guess is the thing. Cause there's no reason not to, I mean, the, the information's there. Um, and then the other thing is find out what your why is. I know that sounds super stupid. And the first time anybody asked me like, what's your big why? I'm like, well, I don't really have this super crazy dramatic story of what my why is. And I had like, why do I do what I do? You know, cause being in sales, you need to be motivated, right? Cause nobody's making you do anything. You, you either make money or you don't. So, you know, as, as time went on, I just had so much trouble with it. And finally, when I just, I don't know, one day it just kind of hit me. I'm like, yeah, you know, um, I'm really burnt out with work. And, and my big why is to buy myself my, buy freedom, you know? So once I figured that out, it made all of my future planning and future casting for life so much clearer and made my motivation so much stronger because every time I'm sitting here, like making calls for work when I don't want to, <laughs> um, I think to myself, I'm like, okay, this is my, this is my goal. I just, you know, and I've scheduled myself. I just got to get through it. And every, you know, I just got to make it through because this is why I'm doing it. And if I just stick to the plan, I will get there. And also look back at the last few years, you've stuck to the plan and you've gotten there. So you're, the light is there. You can see it. So keep going. So, but you don't, you can't, you won't know that until you know what your why is. So figure that out. And also don't feel bad if you don't know right now, you'll figure it out eventually, but, but always think about it spend some time to just try to figure it out and then go towards it. Awesome. That's Michelle with a net worth of $1.7 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.